share with you a little lunchtime bread here. Uh, right now, blessed people, we know too well that we have been pursuing the scripture of the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 14, that's the scripture we've been pursuing, verses 25 to 35. It has become such a mainstay. It has become now a very, very, uh, a very familiar scripture to you. And uh, he says in verse 25 of Luke 14, that large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, and we say that means God gave favor. God became favorable. He showed compassion and love and mercy when he turned to them. He could have just let them go along with him, traveling with him. He turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You are talking to a generation that has cherished and championed and over-treasured family. Families are the center of their life and activity. Mama, Ima, Mama has washed your diapers. Mama has taken care of you until you made sure, she made sure you are stable. She made sure you are stable. She made sure you are now stabilized even when you got married, continued falling up on you to be a good wife or a good husband, whichever the case, whether son or daughter. And then he's saying, must hate. The Lord was talking here about the potential of family to impede your pilgrimage to the kingdom of God. He's saying, be careful. He expects you to give priority to him. He must come first before anyone else when you receive Jesus. The Lord was defining what it means to be born again, what it means to receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he says, verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The Lord there talking about crucifying the flesh. The Lord Jesus in that place talking about the fact that you must lose the kernel of wheat. In the book of John 12, 25. John 12, 25, it says the following. That unless, again, John 12, 25, it says, again, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It says, Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, the seed of wheat, and grows, I mean, to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So when he said in the book of Luke chapter 14, verse 27, that, Whosoever does not pick up their cross and follow him cannot be his disciple. Jesus was essentially saying that there is a paradigm that was set up by God whereby life comes from death. Death must come first. That if you want to be a Christian or born again, you must first die to self. But that is exactly what the present day generation has not done. They don't like to die to self. And he's saying that the true gospel is this one here. This gospel of the cross of dying to self is the true gospel that Jesus brought us. And the present day church is teaching a gospel of prosperity. 
the gospel that the Lord presented to us. If you look at the book of 1 Corinthians 15, I'm reading verses 1 to 4. It says, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, the true gospel of the cross, the true gospel that ought to be navigating your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, it says the following. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want, you to, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. So right away he's saying that the gospel of Jesus brings salvation. And that brings into question the whole definition of salvation. Who is it that is saved? Is this a present-day modern Christian? Is he walking around saying they're saved? Or there are certain tenets, basic tenets and benchmarks that must be scored. There are certain milestones that you must achieve when you're born again. And among them, he says here, must center Jesus first above everyone else, mother, father, wife, children, brother, sister. Jesus must come first when you're saved. The Lord was defining the church that I saw in the kingdom of glory on that July 29, 2009, in that vision, when he released the pale horse, the one that had brought the coronavirus. He was defining the church that will enter into paradise, into the kingdom of glory, the new heaven, the new earth. And he's saying that upon which the gospel by which you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So again, he's warning that there is a true gospel, and then there is apostasy, the vanity, those who are believing in vain right now. There's a very powerful scripture here, the book of First Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 4. And then verse 3 says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. So now he's defining the gospel that ought to navigate your life, the modern-day church. Look at what he defines. As of first importance, number one, that Christ died. He's saying that there must be death. There must be the dying to self. He's saying that Christ died. And number two, died for our sins. Died for our sins. And then he says, according to Scripture. So number one, Christ died. Number two, died for our sins. Why? And then he says, he was buried. When he died, he was buried. He went down. The baptism you go through. When you also die with him. And then he was raised. He was resurrected. That is the gospel that ought to be navigating your life. You ought to be featuring your life in such a way that you're projecting it. You're focusing it to the resurrection day, to eternal life. You ought to be living your life, projecting your life towards the eternal life, propelling it towards the eternal kingdom of God. Nothing less. And he's saying very clearly that whoever... God comes to him and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister. Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be his disciple. What an amazing gospel. I see New Delhi tuned in. I see Dwala Cameroon tuned in. I see Yaounde tuned in. I see Glasgow. I see Abidjan. I see many nations, Nairobi. Dejan everywhere tuned in. Violent New, 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 New Jersey. But are you aware that today's church has not taught the, the true gospel? 
It says the true gospel has death. That's why it says, unless you pick up your cross, Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected. Those are the basic tenets of the gospel. You must be looking forward to the resurrection he brought you. You must be looking forward to dying to self. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of glory. Hallelujah. And he goes on and says, suppose one wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and estimate the cost and see if he has enough money to complete it? In other words, when it seems free to you, then it's not free. When the grace seemed free, then when you enter it, it's telling you, no. When the grace is in your heart, there are certain fruits that are expected of you. Hallelujah. There's a responsibility on your part. And if you read the book of Matthew, now who is it that can live like this? Let's look at verse 33. He lays another principle there. He says, in the same way, he now uses that. Suppose a king wants to go to battle and finds that the other king is stronger than him. Once he sends some people to reconcile peace, to find the terms of peace, then verse 33 says, in the same way, meaning he was doing that parallel about the cost of salvation, about what is required of you to be born again. In the same way, now he brings it back to you. In the same way, he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He said to give up goods, that you must give up goods. We live in a generation where people love goods and property and things. So he lays certain requirements here on Christian salvation, number one, that Jesus must come first in your life before anyone else and before anything else. Number two, that you must die to self like that seed of wheat. Unless it falls down the ground, it cannot germinate, it cannot resurrect. Unless you are baptized in water, you cannot resurrect with Jesus. Unless you die to self, you cannot see eternal life. And then he's saying that otherwise you'll be apostate. You'll have not completed constructing the tower. You'll be apostate and people will laugh at you in hell. The demons will laugh at you and say, but for you, you used to be a pastor. What are you doing here in hell with us? For us, we used to drink in the bath. We're drug gangs. We're out there with women. But for you, you were a pastor. Well, what are you doing in hell here? He said, and many people ridicule the tower whose building stopped halfway. And then he says, must, that if a king is coming and is stronger than you, why wouldn't you ask for the terms of peace? In other words, he's saying that we must all obey Jesus when he lays these conditions for salvation. Why? Because nobody can fight the Lord, he's saying here. Nobody can fight Jesus, he's saying. He's stronger than you by far. We must submit. But who is it that can live like this when mother, father, wife, children are so important? Brother, sister are so important in this life. Who is it that can give their lives for slaughter, sacrifice their lives for the gospel? Turn with me to Matthew, blessed people, chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, I'm reading 1920. It says the following. Verse 18 says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Verse 20 of Matthew 8, Jesus replied, Foxes have been and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you want to follow me, I see you are in comfort. You are living according to the comfort of this world. But for you to be a Christian born again that is headed to heaven, you must abandon the goods, the pleasures of this life, the comforts of this life. And he says, you must be like me. I have no bedroom. I have nowhere to sleep. I have no bed. I have no mat to rest my head on. This is the invitation to salvation. When he's telling this man, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, whoever wants to be born again and follow me, my follower, a Christian, must be able to live in a way that they reject this world, they hate this world. Verse 22 says, verse 20, verse 21, another disciple came, came and said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, the Lord saying that those who are spiritually dead, if you ever get time to read the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, is replying, is referring to people who are spiritually dead. They are spiritually dead. He's referring to those who are not born again. And he says here, Ephesians 2, 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So this is what he meant, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus was very tough when he came to talk about eternity. Kuala Lumpur, I see you. I see you in Delhi, India. I see you all over the world. I see Carolina. I see Edmond, Oklahoma. I see Ohio. I see Linwood, USA. He's saying that Jesus was so tough when it comes to talking about eternity because he realized that eternity lasts forever. He realized that this life is very deluding. Linwood, Washington, this life is very deluding. Tennessee, I see you. I see you, South Korea, Shionjido, Namibia, everywhere, France. He's saying here very clearly that must hate this life. But who is it that can live this, can live like that, blessed people? Who can live that type of life then? He's essentially exalting the election of God at this time. Look at verse 10 of the same Ephesians 2. It says, For we are God's handwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance, much earlier, God already prepared certain people to whom he's going, he was going to reveal this truth. He was going to reveal this truth to some people. There are some people who are going to believe. Who are those who are able to give up their life unless God has an election over you? This is really exalting the election of God. Hallelujah. However terrible things are, however uncomfortable you choose Jesus to die to self, hate family, give up goods. Look at the book of Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. When now the tribulation comes, 
The same applies there. It is the election of God that will propel you. God himself using his sovereign grace to open up the eyes of your heart to see that there is a greater, there is a greater kingdom prepared for you so that you may ravish this life. You may ravish the persecution of this hour. He says, Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called aloud in, in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been killed. For the gospel, for the gospel, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Who is it that can do this, that can accept to be beheaded for the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, unless you have received the election of God? So this scripture of Luke chapter 14, really, verses 25, 35, exhausts the election of God. He says, nobody can say so. Nobody can hate father, hate mother, hate wife, hate children, hate brother, hate sister, hate his own life, and hate good. Unless God has facilitated them through his sovereign grace of the Holy Spirit. It is strictly based on God's sovereign grace upon mankind. And he gives the example of Daniel. When Daniel was told, either to worship the idol or be killed. In the day of lions, he chose to worship the Lord. Who can do that unless there's an election of God over your life? And you see very clearly the Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3 when they were told Shadrach, Abednego, Meshach they were told to worship the statue. They refused. They said no. We'd rather burn in the fire. You'd rather raise the furnace seven times hotter and kill us in there. We'd rather be we incinerated there than to worship an idol. Who can do that? unless there is a sovereign grace of God that has elected them, has opened the eyes of their hearts, and they have seen the greater kingdom coming. Like he that speaks with you has seen the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of glory. He is able to lose his life. He's able to, that's why they have come to die for the Lord on this mission. So you need to understand that you cannot fool around with your salvation. Only the election of God can help you. Look at Daniel chapter 1. They were refugees, the Hebrew boys. They were captives in Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed, set ablaze, destroyed, and people were put on many hundreds of thousands slaughtered. The same ones that slaughtered people in Jerusalem brought them the kingly food. They refused. Who can do so unless there's an election of God on you? Don't fool around with your salvation. God's election is upon you. Don't fool around. He says following Jesus requires total obedience to God. Total faithfulness to God. A sacrificial life like Jesus lived. He says heavenly focused. Having a godly character. A holy lifestyle. A righteous lifestyle. A life of fear of God. Reverence of God. To love God the Father more than anything else, like Jesus did. A righteous way of living and teaching it to your children, 
to be dead to this world, persecuted for God, abused by mankind for God, slandered, blackmailed, blasphemed, and defamed. Singular focus to God's mission. That is what he meant here when he said many were following him with whimsical notions, and they thought they were following Jesus. They were walking along, but there are so many in the present day church that are simply walking along, along with Jesus, walking along, traveling with Jesus, but are not followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, you learn from him. You learn his life's example. You live by his word, obedience to God, faithful to God, sacrificial life, focus on heaven, godly character, righteous character, holy lifestyle, loving God more than everything else, dying to this world, persecuted by this world, abused by this world, abused by men, singularly focused on the mission of God. Hallelujah. So whether you are in a kiosk, or you have opened a shop, or you are a lawyer, or you are a bank teller, you're in your workplace, tuned in following me today in the city of Nairobi and other cities all over Asia and Europe and USA. I see a lot of U.S. cities are tuned in and Europe. My question to you is this. Are you a follower of Christ or you are just someone who is celebrating Christ, following him and enjoying the oracles, enjoying the good things you can get from the house? If you want to get married, it's a better place to go get married. If you find some for convenience, you go there and take things, take things. They were just following him. He was giving them bread. He was raising cripples. They were simply enjoying him. And then he turned to them and asked, do you really know what it means to follow me? So my question to you, are you a follower of Jesus? Or you are simply traveling alone? Many in the present day church in New Jersey, Orange East. Many in Charles, yeah? North Carolina. Many all over the world, Nairobi, Mombasa, Abuja, Nigeria, Lagos, Cape Town, Alexandria, Casablanca, Morocco, Singapore. Many are simply traveling with Jesus today. And what a sad state if the Lord doesn't turn to them and ask, just a moment, do you know what it means to follow me? Must hate father, must hate mother, must hate wife, must hate children, must hate brothers and sisters that are trying to impede your pilgrimage to the kingdom of glory. If they are supporting God, that is very good. You move on with them. But he's saying whether they support God or not, whether they follow you and go with you, Jesus must come first before anyone else in your life. And he says you must be able to lose your life for him. And he says you must be able to hate goods. Who can do that today? Look at the book of Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. Look at those that have the election of God. He says, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who are assembled before the kingdom of God, they are willing to give their lives and die for Christ. They were willing to die for Christ. They were willing to die for the cause of the gospel. The election of God, blessed people. He's talking about God's election over them. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 as I finish. Hallelujah. What a wonderful lunchtime bread for those in the East African times. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And it says the following, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Hallelujah! If you want to receive the Lord and be a follower of Jesus and enjoy God's election and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and focus on heaven, then please repeat the following prayer. Mighty Father, today I come to you as I am and I open up my heart to you and receive Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I repent of all my sins and receive Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and my Savior from today on. I'm aware of the horror of hell. I'm aware of the terror of hell, the torment in hell, the torture in hell, that there is no eternal life in hell, that hell is unbearable, that there is unbearable weeping there, unbearable wailing in hell, unbearable darkness in hell, uncontrollable fire there, unbearable torment, unbearable burning, everlasting punishment, unbearable forever smoke. And that's why today I turn to Jesus and receive Jesus with all my heart as my Lord and Savior. Please help me that I may focus on the kingdom of glory, that I may make Jesus the priority of my life higher than anyone else and anybody else in my life, that I may hate the delusion of this life and focus on the eternal kingdom of God that is coming. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again. Amen. Thank you. Senior Kennedy, take the phones right now. It's only 15 minutes to close for people to go back to their offices. Give them one and a half minutes each, very quick. Those in your offices, those in the kiosk, in your workplaces, supermarkets, mamamboga, those frying fish by the roadside, those selling small shoes of little babies and clothes by the roadside in Kenya, here, Njoro, where, Malimali, selling kiosks. Call now and tell us how this has reached you. And those of you who have heard for the first time, you may not have been part of this group of God, but today you tuned in. Call, you'll be given time. A special number is being given right now. And those of you who are still members of the ministry at workplace, you'll have another number also. Please call in the mighty name of Jesus. The Lord bless you, man. The Messiah is coming. Toda shalom.